Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. It's 105 in Edmonton. This is the second hour of Oilers Now. It's brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. Digitex has our office printer and supply needs covered. They do it all. They could be doing it all for you. In this hour, Jim Matheson. More with Maddie in a second. Uh, we will tell you that you can text us, and we're getting lots of texts on our Westlock Ford text line at 630-630. If you're looking for a new vehicle, go see Paul Olson out at Westlock Ford. Check out the great selection today at westlockford.com. Worth the drive to get your new ride. You can email us at oilersnow at 630chad.com. Uh, our River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline is 780-496-0063. They've got the Little River Band uh, taking place August 16th at the River Cree. I think Nazareth is there August 12th as well. Uh, Steve Earle and the Dukes coming up in the middle of September. Uh, visit uh, Ticketmaster.ca for more information. And we're on Twitter at Oilers now. All right, uh, Jim Matheson in studio. So we talked about the wild cards. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jim. How do you think the orders are, are they going to make the playoffs this year? I think uh, on the fence there. I think other teams did more this summer than the Edmonton yeah. Oilers did because they didn't have much cap room. And I don't know how they got into this cap room jungle here, but they couldn't do very much. And, and the two players they did get are good, Reader and Brodziak, good role players. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't fill the holes they had to fill. Offensive right defenseman who's ready to play right now, and I think Bouchard might be in time and they didn't get a right winger who can score a goal so they didn't fill either of those holes and I think Calgary improved themselves um, you know I guess the the whole division is is kind of up in the air who knows if if Vegas is going to be as good as they were last year I don't think Anaheim maybe one of those years where Anaheim falls off um, but you know it's an awful tough first month they better they got some really tough teams they're playing in the first month they can't be getting out of the gate again four and eight or something like that. That's not good. No, well, no. You're they've got you. Hey, they had a great start two years ago, and they parlayed that into a forty-seven win, one hundred and three point season. Um, conversely, you take a look at what happened last year, and they had a terrible uh, October, and the end result was thirty-one forty-three and or check that thirty-six forty and six. So they went. To, the thing that was crazy to me. They they went twenty three twenty three and four against the West, so they're five hundred. They went sixteen eleven and two against the Pacific. In the last two years, the Edmonton Oilers are thirty six seventeen and five against the Pacific Division. What did Shirelli say when he came in? We got to build a team that can win in our division. Well, he's done that thirty six seventeen and five over the last two years. The problem is the rest of the league changed. The rest of the league changed and got faster. And Maybe the Pacific Division isn't that good. Isn't that good? Well, I shouldn't say that. Vegas got to the finals. so I And San Jose had a pretty good team last year, too. So I, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence. Are they going to make the playoffs? I think eighth, maybe. Okay. I think there's too many good teams in the Central Division. Who Did you see them in two years ago going from 31-43-8 to, to 47 wins. 
No, but that, that that was like Vegas last year where the whole team had a career year, yeah. and so did the Oilers. Okay. And then they fell off. Okay. Uh, their power play, 22.9% two years ago. That was the best power play since the mid-'80s for Edmonton. Uh, fifth in the league, second from December 1st on of the 2016-17 season. They dropped to 31st this past year, and they were 11th in the middle of November. Now, you weren't on the trip. That was the uh, McDavid sick against Dallas game. And, but they'd scored uh, three or four power play goals against Vegas, and then they got the Stars and got a couple power play goals against them. And they were 11th in the league in the power play at that time. They dropped all the way down to 31st at 14.8%. For me, it's simple. If they get the stops and they improve their special teams, they're going to make the playoffs. Well, they have to be good at one of them. I mean, you can't be bad at both. Right. You know, and most teams and they are, were. most teams are are good at really good at one and just average with the other one. But the Oilers were poor on both. And you know, they don't call as many penalties against the Oilers as they do some teams considering they got Connor McDavid, but their special teams eat up, you know, 20 minutes of a game. So you you better be good at both. What year did you come to uh, Edmonton from Winnipeg? Uh, I came in 1970. 1970. You started the WHA beat right away? Uh, Myself and Wayne Overland, yep. Wayne Overland, he was an interesting person. Has there ever been a more critical voice in sport in Edmonton than Wayne Overland? Not that I've heard. Not that you've heard? (laughs) Well, it used to be. I would talk to... You know, to the coaches or something about a story, and I'd write a story, and and Wayne would talk to Bill Hunter, and he'd be totally the opposite of what I was told. Really? Yeah. And and so he'd go right to the owner. Yeah, and we were we were at the same paper. It'd be different if it was at the opposition, but we were at the same paper. Right. So, is there any way you can educate our younger listeners on how much of a barnstormer and uh, salesman Bill Hunter was, as you know, from the obviously in the old uh, Western League days, and then parlaying that into the start of the World Hockey Association? I mean, this guy was a pretty special personality, wasn't he? Well, he belonged in the, at the circus. You know, he should have been a carnival barker because he didn't have much money himself, but he made sure that he, he knew other people that had money. Um, and Bill's he was I think he was a better actual coach than he was as a general manager okay. I don't think I think he was far too reactionary as a GM the minute the coach was playing was not doing the job he was out right and uh, I'll never forgive him for firing Claire Drake you know Claire's forgotten more about hockey than Bill Hunter ever knew, and I don't care how all the things Bill did in, in terms of of being a showman and stuff like that. And now, was Claire. part of that just that the players of that era were not ready for a guy I like think Claire? Part of it is, part of it was, but then have a little more patience. Right. The guy was, you know, we, we tubed him pretty darn quickly. Yeah, back in '74. Was it '74, '75, and around that I time? I think so, or '75, '76. Maybe '70 they, because yeah, they won the '75. Bears yep. won the '75 national title against the U of T. That was the Barrels and the Bears year. I remember going to those games. I was like nine years of age. Um, Jim Atheson joining us from uh, Post Media. So, who was the coach? They went to introduce a coach. And Wes Montgomery or somebody came in late to the press conference? Might have been Ray Kanasiewicz, you know. And so the first coach, yeah, the Oilers, in the WHA? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, and, and so the story went that 
he he was up there at the podium. This was at the Mac Hotel at the time. I think it was the Mac. And at, uh, at the Mac, and he's up there at the podium, and he's whining. And we're this guy's going to be the greatest coach ever. Yada yada yada. And West had arrived late and was kind of sheepish in arriving late. And 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 what it, you can. Well, I think West walked around the corner. Yeah. So I. And it was like, come on, and, yeah. he's, and he said, come on, come, down. <laughs> come on down, you ass, or something like that. Yeah, Get ass so much walked out. Yeah. Oh I mean, God, he fun. owned stork diaper service then, too, at Ray Canasso. Did he? That's when you, you know people had cloth diapers. Right. He had the cleaning service. <laughs> right, with uh, K. Linen or whatever, right? The Canasso family had years later. Well, I mean, Bob Canasso is still around, and yeah. he's, uh, he's... He was a very nice man. Ray Canasso? Very nice man. So... Um, well, I mean, other than I mean, in Bill Hunter's situation, it was he he belonged in the WHA because pretty much everybody running a team in the WHA was like Bill Hunter. Okay, they didn't have any money. Right, teams folded at the drop of a hat. To, you know, you look at the schedule and say, "Oh, this team won't even be there when the Oilers are there in two months," and. You know, one team folded. I think it was. Uh, I was. I'm thinking what we were in Hartford, and and I was maybe Birmingham or somebody, and they held it in the Barnum and Bailey suite at the hotel. You know, yeah. typical circus, and they just folded the whole team. So the, the bad news, uh, Bulls, right? They they had a tough team bad back news, there, yeah. John Brophy, right? Uh, they had some players that, as Rod Phillips said, needed boards at the end because they had kept going. Yeah, bad news, Billado, and people like that. So, uh, Frank beaten. Frank, Frank never beaten. Never beaten. Then he started. Seldom. Then, seldom. then he became seldom. Seldom beaten. And then after what happened? Then well, he became often beaten. No, no, I don't think he ever became often. I think he became seldom. Yeah. You know, every now and then he'd get beat, but he was smaller than a lot of the guys. Oh yeah, he was only like five eight or five nine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was, he was very tough. And then back in those days, I mean, when the league started, pretty much. Every team in the league had five or six guys that all they wanted to do was break your arm. Right. You know, or spear you in the throat. Right. You know, there was not a lot of skill. And then after a couple of years, they got the Andre Lacroix and the little guys, Ron Wards and stuff, who get 163 points. And sure. So. Uh was was it surreal when Edmonton got into the NHL back then? You're covering the World Hockey Association, and suddenly the Oilers, you know, are one of the four teams. That well, I got in because they managed to get through the entire league without folding. Right. You know, the other teams couldn't handle it. So by the time they got to the, you know, the NHL said, "Yeah, okay, we give up because you keep taking some of our players. You can come in." They were one of the four teams that were still around, so they got in. Gretzky came in uh, in the last year. Did, did did you know right away? Oh, this of course not. No, you didn't know right away. No, you didn't know right away no. that he was that good. Well, not when he was in Indianapolis before he got to the orders. No, I they no. no. When you start, him, how long? I think they played it with Angie Moretto and Bruce Gregg or something, and the Twin Towers on the on the wing, and they didn't do much with the puck. Right? Okay, so so tell me this: How long did it take you to see Wayne in games and at practice where you said? Man, this guy's pretty good. Um, probably at Christmas after they got him from from uh, Indianapolis. I mean, he made lots of plays to people that, that they didn't finish him, but he would he would pass the puck to him. But he he always seemed awful slight, and he wasn't the greatest skater, and he couldn't shoot that hard. Right. Um, See, I actually think if you watch the highlights of him in the early '80s. 
he is a pretty good skater. Oh, he, was a good, he was a he had a really good first step. Right. Where he 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 got to the loose pucks before the other people. Right. Uh, but I mean, next to Bobby Sheehan and people like that who could really skate, I mean, yeah. Wayne was not the skater. So the contrast is when you and me. <laughs> I want to relay the story. We uh, we convinced those two fellows that went. I forget their names, but they went on that trip all through uh, the Iron uh, the Iron Belt down in the states, and then they're sitting at the bar with us one night in Pittsburgh, and uh, they're like. Yeah, we're we're here, and I'm like, well, you're here on a Tuesday. Like the Oilers don't play Pittsburgh to Thursday, and I'm like, you guys got a car? And they're like, yeah. I go, you want to go see McDavid play tomorrow night with Erie? This is before the Oilers won the lottery, by the way. And the guy goes, you can get us tickets. I'm like, yeah, for sure. And I go, can I bring Jim Atheson? So we go to this game, and we go walking into uh, we go walking into the little media area in Erie's arena in her dilapidated old rink there. And who do we bump into? Uh, Tim Murray, who was the GM then of Buffalo, and you want to know why we we're there, and you know, we, what do you think? He says you can turn around and go home. He's just every, every as advertised. You don't have to watch him play. But he didn't play that well that game. Right. I remember talking to Bill Guerin, who was also there, and he says to me after the second period, he says, "Hmm, he's not doing much tonight." Yeah. Yeah. And he and he put together like twenty points in the previous eight games. Yeah. I, I guess where I'm going with this is you watched Wayne. Connor is a different player. It's a different game. But the one thing that separates the two players have you ever seen a guy be this explosive with the puck that can make plays? I mean, Pavel Burry could absolutely fly and he was a scorer, but it was a little bit different time. Uh, but is there anywhere any way you could compare and contrast? No, I, I he's got uh, he's got some of Mario in him in that the puck sticks to his stick like it's velcroed to his stick as he's making all the plays right skating with the puck it's like you know it's attached to his stick he's not even stick handling it's just pushing the stick up the ice and away he goes and if there's I, he makes a lot of really good defensemen look like you and me. He made Drew Doughty look bad one night. Right. And he, Drew even admitted it. You know, Drew is... Was not at, pleased. At, he was embarrassed. Well, at, at worst, he's the third best defense. He's always in the top three defensemen of the league, and, and Connor made him look yeah. poor. So, um, you know he's good when he played about half a year and the rest of the league thought he was almost the best player in the league. He only played half this... It was rookie season. I remember Sean Horikoff uh, was with the Ducks at the time, and it was late in March of that season. It was at Rexall Place. And uh, I went and talked to him after the game, and he goes, hey, uh, just so you know, Stoff, you guys are going to be fine here. Right? And then 30 seconds later, Andrew Cogliano comes out, and he's like, hey, Stoff, just so you know, you guys are going to be fine. <laughs> like, you, like, that guy's... It's stupid. It's. I mean, the question, however, is... As good as he is, he needs a lot of support. Right. You can't, I don't care how good Sidney Crosby is and Malkin is in Pittsburgh, they need, they need six or eight other forwards who are quite good too. And that's, that's the failing with the orders right now. They need better support players for Connor to play with. All right. Or you can say you've got the best player in the league, but they better make the playoffs this year. That's three out of four years with the best player in the world. You missed the playoffs. They have to get better support players. Would they have had greater playoff success if they had not traded Hall for Larson? 
Was Larson a contributing factor for them making that massive step forward and getting 47 wins two years ago? He was, indeed, and I, I have all the time in the world for Adam Larson. Right. I think at worst he's a second, I think he's probably a second pairing NHL defense. He's a right. He's a right shot D that can play in your second pairing, which makes him a number three defenseman yeah. in the league. Yeah, because so he's very tough and he's sneaky tough. Yeah, and he he can play minutes and he can play every night. And Taylor Hall would have never have been the MVP here because Connor would have been on the team. That said, I, I, that said, if they'd kept Taylor and they'd kept Eberle. And they still had Nugent Hopkins, Connor McDavid, and Leandre. So would they want? They'd have I, five. I, they'd have five forwards. They'd have that nobody else in the league could have. They matched. had five of the six forwards they need in their top six. So, you know, all they needed was you know one more winger. Because I don't know if you could have afforded all of those guys, but the f- yeah, you maybe could have till now. I mean, yeah. So, so the question is, would, would they have had greater success if they just kept them? All of them, yes. Yeah. But you're saying all, so you're including yeah. everybody. Because I look including at the Eber- Eberle. The Eberle Strom thing for me, I'm fine with. The, yeah, that was a salary situation. Right. Like the, the the question is Hall versus versus Larson. And Larson was a contributing factor. Well, he was very good. To a philosophical shift that occurred. Yeah. I mean, the orders went from 27th to 8th defensively yeah. that year. But Taylor was un. I was listening to ESPN Radio today, and they talked about the fact that, you know, NHL MVPs, little impact. I mean, the guy goes, Tyler Hall won the MVP this year for New Jersey. Who goes and watch, right? Because they're talking about the impact of Tiger Woods getting back in the mix in golf and how he draws uh, viewers. Uh, When we come back, a topic, and we'll make it quick, um, analytics and the new world and the new media and how all that works with Jim Matheson when we return on Oilers Now. When you want to fly your Oilers colors with fan gear or outfit your fan cave, there's only one place. ProAmSports.ca Jerseys, apparel, headwear, and memorabilia from your favorite players and teams. Whether it's the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, MLB, or more, ProAm Sports are your fan cave specialists. And if it comes with a ProAm Sports certificate of authenticity and hologram, you know it's 100% authentic, hand-signed memorabilia. So no matter who you cheer for, Pro-Am Sports has got your guy. Visit their Edmonton showroom on St. Albert Trail. Fill your fan cave at proamsports.ca. That's proamsports.ca. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 123 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Ulrich with you in Oilers Now. Our guest uh, today is uh, Jim Matheson. Tomorrow we're going to have John Short in studio. Friday, Brian Hall will join us. Uh, I'll, not, I'm going to be paid by the word on Friday. I know that's coming. Uh, Jim, uh, get a word in edge. Oh, that's that's going to be perfect. Okay. There we go. Just kidding, Halsey. All right. Uh, so here's the thing, Jim. I, I operate under the principles that I know I don't know everything. And I had a great lesson handed to me back in the 2006 playoff run because I started to get emails. This is when people still sent emails and I was at the other station and this guy was emailing me going, hey Stoffer, just so you know Chris Pronger is going to be traded at the end of this year. He's asked for a trade. And I'm like BS, right? That was my natural intuitive reaction. He just signed a five-year uh, deal with the Edmonton Oilers and he was you know, in his first year at the club and and I just assumed that it was, and as it turned out, you know, as we were flying back from uh, the Stanley Cup final, Game 7 against Carolina, I became aware of the fact uh, during the course of that day that Chris Pronger was going to indeed ask for a trade. So when it comes to analytics, 
I have time for them. I don't like how pushy some guys can be, but I do believe that there's individuals that know have a better handle of analytics than me. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean they know everything about a player more than I do, but it's entirely possible they'd have a pretty good take on things. How? Because it's it, for a guy like you who's been interviewing play. I mean, it's such a change. How? Now you have an entire generation of writers that have never even been in a dressing room, but because they've got a feel or a handle of analytics, can write from that perspective. How tricky of a landmine has that been for you to walk on in your role? Well, they think I should have retired ten years ago because I, I would I say do, I, I would say three. Analytics. But I'm kind of an eyeball guy. Yeah, I don't have a problem with some of the analytics. Yeah, you know, I'm I cer- I'm certainly aware of. Uh, of say a center who always takes the defensive zone draws and there's a reason why his puck possession numbers aren't very good because right. he's playing against the other team's better players and the other guy's got the puck so he's out there to check right and then the offensive guys always get the puck in the other team's end because you know they don't check so well they don't want to face off um, and the whole the whole puck possession is is fine but I don't like the the shot thing so you know they take a lot of shots well they take a lot of shots from outside the face-off dots. You're not scoring NHL goalies from there. Um, I have some. I have a lot of time for analytics, depending on who's trying to tell me about the analytics. Yeah. And I, I think some people have made a history uh, or made their bones on all analytics. And here's how it is. And and we should go and get this guy because of this and that. And and, they, and there's no gray area in terms of whether the guys in the team, you know, if there's a last game you need to win, they don't they don't care about the analytics. They just want to know if that guy's got the character to win the game. Yeah. Uh, well, another truism is you're you make what half the trips now, roughly. Okay, half the trips you're around the dressing room on a day to day basis. Uh, I, I'm on the plane all the time. I can't even report the stuff that I would see injury wise because that's just not acceptable uh, in terms of what happens on the plane. But what I will say is, I've never believed for a second that I have a hundred percent knowledge of every situation that involves the team, and so there's nothing that angers me more than guys who are around a little bit who try to pers- give out the perception that they know what's going on in the room. You don't know it. Nobody knows. What's Nobody going knows on. what's going on in the room unless you're in that room as a player. As a player, I'm not talking the trainer or the, and those guys have way more of a handle than we do. But you agree with that, right? Absolutely. I uh, we see the players after an awful lot of losses last year. And right. In, you know they're not very happy to see us. Uh, and, and and more time actually is spent after morning skates. After, after yeah, and I don't. I'm never too sure who's doing all the talking between periods and stuff. Right. Uh, I suspect it's the it's the leadership quote group, which is a new, you know buzzword. They get leadership groups as opposed to guys right. wearing A's and C's. Um, but I don't. Uh, I don't. I can't see the discord. I'm not in the dressing room when one player's chewing another player out and yelling at him and say, "Get your rear end going here." I'm not there, and I don't know. There's certainly got to be some animosity in every dressing room about this guy's making all the money. He's he's getting my ice time because he's making six million. I'm sure that that sort of stuff happens. Why is this guy? keep on the power play when he hasn't scored a goal and you know 
We may have had we may have had that very situation occur last year between a couple guys. So we don't know. We don't we don't know to what extent. We don't know whether or not they were best friends or whether or not there was real animosity as well. Jim, thanks for coming in. Uh, we love having you come in. Uh, certainly in the off season to discuss things. Uh, we'll hook you up with some GCs at some point. And uh, hey, playoffs. Well, like I said, eight. I I don't think it'd be. 95 points, so they got to get 95 points to get in the playoffs. So they yeah. got to be a lot better. To well, they got to be a lot better. They not. I did not saying they are going to be a lot better. They need to be. They a lot better, better be better at home. Yeah, they were not very good at home last year. And if the people are paying the money, they're going to pay to watch the Oilers play at home. You better win two out of every three at home. That's Jim Matheson from Post Media. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers now. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. We'll get to a bunch of your texts. Uh, we'll bring Brendan Ulrich back and on the show. This is Oilers now.